0: Conference of Champions rolls on, no truck stops here, we are the Pac-12, we are the best of the best.
1: Welcome to No Truck Stops, the Pac-12 podcast, I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin, I'm here with Vroom Vroom Master,
2: Matthew Burtson. I need a cigarette. I need three packs of cigarettes. What a day. What a day. Nuts. Nuts. What a beautiful, gorgeous day. Oh. Uh,
1: and Vroom Vroom Junior, Greg, at Bananamorphs.
0: Charles Leclerc is going to be the 2022
2: uh, World Driving Champion. I'm so proud of my beautiful <laughs> uh, boy, Greg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh follow us on twitter and instagram at no truck stops pod send us questions with your emails limited time we have only got a few more weeks of this uh, at no truck stops podcast at gmail.com this is our basketball episode recapping all the crazy shit that's happened in the Pac 12 over the past week and buddy <laughs> we are recording this minutes after arizona beat tcu by the skin of their teeth in overtime Never in, in San Diego in the round of 32, they're going on to the Sweet 16. We'll talk about UCLA and how they did. They're also going to the Sweet 16. We'll talk about USC's a uh, bit of a collapse early on, um, and their loss to Miami in the first round. You know, the tournament generally, but we're not going to get too truck stoppy. uh, I will talk exclusively me, just do a rundown of what the Pac-12 teams have done in the NIT, because I'm the only sick piece of shit who actually watched that. Um, But first, (laughs) let's start with Arizona beating TCU 85-80 to off the back of Ben Matherin who carried this team, who scored the vast majority of their points. I think it was something like 13 of their last 15 points for Arizona to secure Arizona's place in the sweet 16. Uh, this game, I, I I think it was, I think it so far has been the best game of the NCAA tournament so far. It is one of the best basketball games I have ever watched from the jump. Like from the beginning, this game was incredible. Uh Matthew Burtson, you were locked in to every second of this. What did you see? Did you also agree? Did you have fun watching this game?
2: This was so much fun. There I, there was so much about this game. TCU came to play in this game. They were so prepared. Um were executing a very specific game plan that was it was very clear to see that this was execution. And Arizona just absolutely out-talented in the fact that they even stay connected in this game. TCU was playing so much better than Arizona for... The first thirty what six minutes of this game? Yeah, (laughs) that thirty
1: nine up until overtime.
2: I wouldn't say thirty six. Actually, my math is bad on that. It was like twenty six minutes before it actually Mm -hmm. really started to get even. But just Arizona just hung in there for the first twenty six minutes. They they talk about how like you can't let a bad team hang around. (laughs) No, you can't just let a more talented team hang around. If they're hanging around, like I. I tweeted, I was like, this thing feels like it's a three-minute run away from Arizona just blowing this thing open. And I thought they did. Mm-hmm. And then TCU just punched back. Like, it oh, my crazy. gosh, it was so good. Christian Coloco was a beast. I know Ben Mather is definitely going to be the, the name to come out of this game, and rightfully so. He was incredible. But Christian Coloco made every big play for this Arizona team. It was fantastic to watch. I am – I, my only complaint is Carissa. We'll get into that, but I am, I am, abs- I truly, I need a cigarette right now. This was incredible.
1: This was uh, stressful as all hell, uh, <laughs> Greg. You were able to listen to most of this game, watch the last, I
0: don't know, fifteen, twenty minutes or so. What did you, what did you think? What stuck out to you? My takeaway because I saw Arizona, like I, I turned it on like right before Arizona made their run that we all thought was going to be the. Th- be the knockout punch. The run that they always make. A lot of times they'll make more than one of them, but I thought they were going to do it. I thought that was it. And then uh I think I think they needed to play Balo more. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me. I, yeah. I really wanted Balo on the court more. They looked better with him on the court because they were rebounding. Like uh when TCU made their run at the end and like I was at my most worried at the end, uh it was because... Lampkin was just bodying everybody every Arizona player on the boards like nobody was stopping him and then he would just go up and he was way too strong for all of them but when Bala was on the floor Arizona was handling him and uh I really don't understand why uh why Tommy Lloyd went small well I guess (laughs) as small as Arizona goes you know Uh, I really wish they would have had Balo in instead of Kreisa there at the end, for sure, because Kreisa was a definite negative and Balo was, I've been so impressed with him uh, in this game, because earlier in the year I did not think he was that much of a positive, whereas now he could be like the deciding factor in them making a Final Four run. Yeah, Balo it does feel that way.
2: never plays outside of himself. It's so impressive uh-huh. how much he just says, "This is my role, and I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it." Great. He took one shot in this game, perfect, perfect Balo stat line. That's exactly <laughs> well, what I want. And that he's to gotten look
0: better like. at that. Like earlier in the season, he wasn't doing that. He had some post ups mm-hmm. where, uh, like, he started just from way too far from the basket, and so he'd take a bad shot. But like, if you just let him defend, let him rebound, and occasionally give him a post-up when he is right under the basket he's a phenomenal player
1: yeah I, we, we talked about it early on in the season when he would sort of get uh he'd get those post-ups from like six seven feet away from the basket and it's like he doesn't have anything in his bag to be able to 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 make something out of that he just doesn't but he's still a very talented player a, a smart one otherwise and um yeah his minutes were were massive we can get into some of Tommy Lloyd's decision
0: making in this game. It was hey, not
2: sometimes we fall back on what we're used to. Lots of Gonzaga that I saw tonight.
0: And I still think there were like good moments from Tommy Lloyd. I just wish he had put less faith in Krisa. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's the big one. Gripe. That's the big one. Um but let's just talk about Ben Matherin real quick because Oh man.
1: Because Whole, like this was this was the kind of game that uh, scouts are gonna be like, wait a second, is this dude like a top three pick in the NBA draft next? He he fucking took over. He took over um, mm-hmm. when it looked like Arizona, frankly, uh, was at, on the ropes. At, out, not just on the ropes, but getting outworked, out physical. It felt like at times they were checking out late in the second half and Ben Mathrim by himself was forcing was creating plays. He got that one big offensive board um that I think put Arizona up by 2. Uh, he mm-hmm. had that insane sort of three-point three. that deep oh, three man. to tie the game when TCU was up 3 with about a minute left. Um just an the insane dunk. game from oh, him to end. Gosh, the, the, oh, we didn't even talk dunk. about. Yeah. Oh. Let's talk about that really <laughs> Absolutely quick. Absolutely
2: murdered a human being. Go,
1: go watch uh, on, our, on our Twitter account, at no Literally any Pod, of us. Or any of us. We all retweeted the shit out of it. Um, yeah. He he destroyed Eddie Lampkin. Um, completely destroyed him. I, uh It looked like he was kind of. uh They they he was he was just running at the rim. Eddie Lampkin rotated over. This is sometime in the middle of the second half, and Ben Mathern detonated. Um, that's oh, it was amazing. The highlight of the tournament, I think, at this point. Um, I mean, so that was that was a highlight play. But like,
2: man, I, coming I down, I thought the stretch, it was ball game. I thought it was ball game right there. At that point, yeah. TCU punching back after that was genuinely like You'd think they would have folded like
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just demoralizing to have that happen, especially with Lampkin spending the whole time doing the too small thing on Christian Coloco. I, I can't And then I did to get that. absolutely posterized. I'm not, trying, posterized, to talk, I'm not but... trying
2: to talk up a truck stop player. Lampkin was the most entertaining player on the whole Oh, he was fun. This oh, without a doubt. yeah, was having so much goddamn fun out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he He was feeling himself. I mean, when you're... When you're doing the, like, too small, like, mouse in the house gesture. To a guy towards, who's, like, taller than you. <laughs> seven foot one. <laughs> Christian Coloco's seven foot one, and he did that to him. Uh Man, you got to have some serious swagger to do it. But but honestly, uh and this is the thing. There was many, many things that went right for Christian Coloco and Arizona. The one thing that's concerning to me is they, again – got pushed around by Eddie Lampkin and Christian Coloco, I think uh, came up big in some of these key moments, but I also felt like he was playing pretty soft against Eddie Lampkin. Like I think Eddie Lampkin was bumping him around, pushing him around, getting to the spots that he wanted. And Christian Coloco just offered very little resistance at times to Eddie Lampkin. Um, and I think, I think it kind of reverberated throughout the team. Like I think TCU was generally out hustling Arizona. I thought they were pushing them around. I thought they were getting whatever position that they wanted. Um, and in the end it's just, I mean, this is a testament to Arizona's talent. They have such a huge margin for error that like Ben Matherin can take over. Christian Coloco had that huge putback back. Offensively,
0: Christian Coloco was awesome the whole game. That's true. Yes. Uh, it was just defensively. I felt like he played a little scared. Like there were a few plays where Lampkin scored when he like, he had no business scoring there. Like Coloco should have stopped him. And he just sort of let Lampkin go up without contesting it as well as he should have, or just fouling when he shouldn't have. Uh, But like you said, the margin for error for Arizona is massive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They can, they can take off long stretches uh, and have one really good stretch and it's over now in this game to Matt's point. Um, they had that stretch. They went up by nine. I thought that I thought it was game. I thought they were gonna put it away, like we have seen them do over and over again. Frankly, I think I think a lot of this was Arizona playing pretty soft. And there's one player in particular that I think is not getting enough heat. And I'll talk about him in a moment. But in general, I thought um TCU was just also really well coached. I thought Jamie Dixon, uh Jamie Dixon's a great coach. He's a great coach. He, he's a name, he's been around. Um, he did a great job tonight. The one player that's on my mind that I don't, that I think is getting a huge pass. Generally it's a Jules Yeah, Yeah, It's he, gotta be. Oh, he disappeared. Now Kirk, Chris is lucky.
0: Is Chris w- was
1: on the floor. Yes. Because, <laughs> because buddy, he, he really got let off the hook on Twitter by people watching this game because Kirk Kriso was so bad, but as Jules was, he was soft tonight. Um, and it and and good on Tommy Lloyd for reflecting that in his minutes, as you list of us, only got 15 minutes tonight. Um, not aggressive offensively. Wasn't getting any boards. He only finished with two. Finished two for seven from the field. He was unplayable for
2: three, long three stretches. Three turnovers, of game. like was turning the ball over. It. Mm-hmm. Oh, it I think was. Brutal. Pella Larson played more minutes, right?
1: Uh, that is correct. He played third. Pella Larson played 30.
0: He played some big time minutes late. Yeah, although he was not. Uh, incredible like he had some big mistakes i mean his
2: mistakes were relying on his teammate um <laughs> <laughs> i will certainly That's, get into it. i just I, I it was amazing to see and and i would definitely say tibells was definitely a, he looked so deer in the headlights with this arizona state tcu showed up And decided to play Arizona's game. Like I think this is probably the first time this season that Arizona has met a team that said, Yeah, we'll match you in transition. Mm -hmm. Well Well, yeah, and normally like that sounds great. We'll throw five guys at the rim on the offensive boards and because like we can catch up to you. We're not worried about your ability to run past us. Like it was there was so many times where Arizona had five guys just standing there being like, Wait, why the fuck are there so many purple jerseys here? I'm so con mm-hmm. like three of you should be worried about us running the other way. I, I, they were there were so many times that you saw Arizona players standing flat footed, not sure what was happening, not sure what the other team was doing. It, very and and I think Tabellis really ran into a lot of that where he just it, he it, he had two guys jumping over the back of him and he was like, "Wait, mm-hmm. I, normally I don't even have to jump for this rebound. What the hell is this?" Yeah, it, it was really really. I, it was a fascinating game plan for TCU and it was fascinating that it worked for so much of this game. It, it was, it... I think the conventional
0: wisdom for most people who played Arizona this year has been don't run with Arizona or they will run you out of the gym. Whereas the conventional wisdom when you play Arizona should just be to say, no, fuck you.
2: We're going to play <laughs> our
0: game. Yeah. I don't care if this is your game too. We are going to dictate things mm-hmm. and that's how you beat them. Now, TCU just didn't have the horses to do it. Like by the end, Arizona was just a little bit like just too good. Yeah, we haven't for that talked enough about Ben and doing that. Keep going. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, truly. But uh uh I really think like that's a worrying thing for Arizona is they just they're not used to resistance. They're used to just being able to run over teams. And you when you're when you're at this point in March, you have to be ready for teams to put up
1: resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the intensity level, I think Arizona is struggling a little bit with the intensity level. We'll talk very, very briefly about their game against Wright State, which was largely uneventful, but not totally a blowout the way we've seen from Arizona. I think the intensity level does bother them a little bit. Um, One thing we got to talk about was how the game got into overtime to begin with, and in particular, the final what 15 seconds oh <laughs> let's let's recap that really quick um TCU so Arizona tied the game with about 12 seconds left TCU had the ball um and they were going to play for the last possession
0: um I don't that know that was who, the that who, was the Mathurin three that tied it I think yeah
1: yeah right right before it so TCU gets the ball 12 seconds they get it up. they get it in the half court um and uh so TCU's guard I can't remember which one they're truck stop players so I'm not really paying attention to their names um, they, Arizona trapped him up top and that was a great decision to trap. They trapped but... him. Oh, and first of all, I'll ask you all this question, but let me finish what the sequence happened here. Um, TCU turns it over at half court and Dale and Terry gets the ball clocks seconds ticking. Um, and dunks the ball. I have two questions here. He dunks the ball and, and they go back and review it, and um, it's right at the buzzer, and the ball was still in his hands when he dunked it. My first question is, was that a foul on Arizona against that
0: TCU player when he turned over that ball? Um, I think it was both a foul, and I think the TCU guy flopped to make it look worse than it was. Okay, okay. I think he got bumped. I think he deserved to get a call there, uh, but at the same time, he milked it. Matt, did you get to rewatch that? Um, you think I am a-
2: never going to criticize a referee swallowing his whistle at the end of the game. Okay, just that's I'm just yeah, that's that, that that's a principle of mine. Swallow your goddamn whistle. I, okay. I I tweeted this, I said, I am so glad that we are getting this amazing, I'm bas- glad this amazing basketball yeah. game with the best players still on the floor and not fouled out with four minutes to go and going into overtime as we've seen so many times in this tournament. Um it, it might have been a block. It definitely wasn't uh uh half uh, back backcourt violation. One of those two, like there was definitely something there that mm-hmm. needed to be blown. I am not going to throw my arms up in the air and be like, Oh, the referee swallowed the whistle and let the game play. Like I am team ban ref ban replay, ban whistles, like all like play the damn game. And yeah, and I have I don't think that anything was that egregious to really say that the game was turned on that. Like it could have gone either way between either a half court or or a block on that and whatever. I yeah. think if he hadn't flopped, they would have called a backcourt violation.
1: Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Which <clears throat> excuse me, uh would had would not have given the opportunity for the next crazy thing that happened in this game was Dale and Terry going to dunk it uh for the potential game winner. Uh
2: lots of discourse on what Dale and Terry did. Go ahead, Matt. Have you seen the replay on this? He looked up as soon as he saw the ball. He knew what the time was. But you can't convince <laughs> was- me he didn't do that on purpose. It was the weirdest thing because, uh,
0: like, minutes earlier, Kirk Caruso, one of the few good plays he had, creates an open layup for Dale and Terry. Good pass. Dale and Terry goes up. He could have dunked it and makes the weirdest decision to, like, chuck it off the backboard.
2: I'm not uncertain that Doesn't wasn't Doesn't even hit pass. the rim. Like, I think he was trying to do a pass off the board. He was trying
0: to alley-oop it to Christian Coloco. <laughs> Coloco just wasn't there. That's, that makes more sense. If he had just swapped his decisions there, dunked when he should have dunked, done the layup when he should have done the layup. Would have been a great game for Dalen Terry, <laughs> but though both of those plays were just so bad, like just his brain abandoned him yeah. in those moments. Yeah. <laughs> but I, Yeah, I, go ahead, Matt.
2: But I will say I mean you talk about like those fouls, I I truly I think that like of everything that happened on that final possession, I think that it just saying, "You know what? Fuck it, we're going overtime," was probably the most right solution there. Like I think yeah, that I was agree. okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah it was fair.
1: I, I will say if Daylon Terry did not dunk that and he just kind of laid it in or floated it up or whatever at the buzzer, I, we would be. So this game, I think, will um, I think will will live on for Arizona fans no matter what, because of the game that Ben Matherin had. But if Daylon Terry had just sort of laid it up um, and gotten that out of his hands, this would go down in lore as one of the greatest, most cr- like craziest finishes in tournament history. Like people will be replaying that would have been replaying that for years. Um and and we would have had that discourse on whether it was a foul or not would have persisted for years. Like it was going to be that moment. That's what it felt like. It was chaotic. It was crazy. Um just pure madness living up to the
0: living up to the name mm. of this uh this yeah, goddamn the more event. egregious ref mistake uh was later uh when Matherin got the offensive rebound and then got the and one uh later in the game where it should have either been a jump ball or a travel, like absolutely should have been one of those two. And for some reason the ref didn't call it. I'm not mad because I wanted Arizona to win. And that was just a great play by Matherin, even if he did travel and even if it should have been a jump ball, but I don't, uh, that's the one I would be more upset about if I was a TCU fan.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, well, Arizona is going to the sweet 16 after this absolutely bizarre game. Um, we're starting with that but Arizona also did beat right state. That feels so Never. Heard I got to say. <laughs> I got to say uh this feels like uh it feels like since we last recorded 10 years have passed. Uh-huh. It feels like we're just completely different environment this from weekend where we were takes
2: forever. It's amazing. It's
1: insane. <laughs> I mean, it felt like Thursday, which is when the opening games were, uh the opening round felt like that was 2 weeks ago. Um Seriously? <laughs> It's crazy. Anyway, Arizona beat Wright State 87 to 70. Um Wright State was a little bit more competitive I think than most people expected. They were within 10-8 hanging around middle of the second half and then Arizona blew them out. So, uh these two games together, um kind of kind of showed that arizona is maybe in for a little bit more of a dogfight in each of these games than we expected. But, um, very quickly before we go on to talk about the other teams, Arizona, UCLA and USC, Greg, we'll start with you. Are you, uh, are you worried about them? Cause now they got to go play Houston, which is a top five mm-hmm. team in Kempom
0: in San Antonio. Are you worried about this Arizona team? I am absolutely worried about that game. Uh, I was worried about that game before the tournament. Like if I, what, if I was not a PAC 12 fan, picking Houston to beat Arizona would have been one of my favorite upset picks because I just think it's a really bad matchup for Arizona because of what Houston likes to do. They're experienced. They were in the final four last year, you know, and that's a team that like likes to get after it. You know, they'll be, they'll be going for rebounds, which is something, you know, Arizona struggles with. And so I'm worried. I am worried for Arizona. The thing that helps them, Tommy Lloyd is a great preparer. Like I think he prepares for teams really well and they have a little extra time to prepare for Houston. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, had they had a little bit more of a rest before this TCU game in between their uh, first-round game and now, maybe it wouldn't have been so close. But uh, I don't think they'll be sleeping against Houston because that's a big game, Sweet 16, against, like, not a pushover opponent. And I trust Tommy Lloyd as a coach, so I'm going, like, I think Arizona will beat Houston but if they lose, I will not be surprised just because of the way those two teams play. Yeah. Matt, are you worried about Arizona?
2: And not any more than I should be because it's the tournament. Like yeah. A, yeah. No. every every, how many of these upsets I mean, I'm pissed because my bracket is like looks like shit, even though every <laughs> single one of the every single one of the upsets I've like picked lost by like two points. Like they had a chance to win each of these games. Like Arizona being in a position where it's like you go to overtime against the TCU, any of that kind of stuff, like it, it's fine. I, I Greg, I think your point is excellent. I think that if Arizona plays uh, plays Houston instead of TCU tonight, Arizona probably loses that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the ability to have a week to prepare to be going into, you know, this this actual next round and getting some time, getting some some rest and just like. You know, as we've talked about, how Arizona doesn't have that experience in this tournament, being able to just come down and be like, whew, take a breath." Now you, now you get to go on your run. Now it's serious. I think greatly, greatly benefits the Arizona team, um, and I think that you get a more true matchup of Arizona versus Houston, and then on the next round you can go into more of like the weirdness of <laughs> the tournament. Mm-hmm. Brings. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Um,
2: no i'm not worried but also i mean it's it's the tournament dude like yeah. peacocks win games in yeah. this thing yeah. so like it's yeah, finally. like it's not and we're not judging i mean we're judging every other you know conference based off of their results in the tournament but certainly not uh, the pack 12 big 12 looking at you yeah, yeah. and big the 10. sec both of, them, both of them <laughs>
1: uh look like fucking ass uh all right well um i think my answer to this question is uh i'm i'm worried if Kirk Kreisa is not hundred percent. And I'm if Kirk
0: plays, what do you mean? Yeah, you're God. right. percent, um, if if, I'm still a believer in a healthy Kirk Kreesa. Like I think he wrong. makes Arizona better. I mean I like, he's just
1: such a he's just such a high variance player, except the variance in the positive is not that high. I think
0: the, variance the, variant, the I think the
1: variance in the positive is very high. I think it's very high in that like Arizona percent. does
0: not go on scoreless droughts when Kirk Kreesa is playing well.
1: I do think I do think that Kirk Kreesa We've talked about this so many times before. If Kirk Carissa is going and he's hitting shots, it just means something completely different to this Arizona
0: team. Like, and I don't think ben he Math- has to be hitting shots to help Arizona. It's his passing that makes them better. But I
1: think I, it's his passing that makes him better, makes the the team better. But I think him hitting shots, like, does so when something. when he hits for, shots, that's huge. Does yeah. something for Arizona that I don't think. Dalen Terry or Ben Mathern or anyone else hitting shots does. I don't know what it is, but, again, every time Kirk Carissa nails a three, it feels like ten points. Like, it's just insane to me. Whatever it is, it felt like, you know, in the, in what did he go, like, oh, for five from three? He went one for ten. Oh, uh, God. And if he had hit one of those at any point of the, like, seven threes that he took late, if he had hit one of those, I don't, like, momentum, I think, might have swung drastically in Arizona's favor. It just matters. That much. So I guess all to say, am I worried about Arizona? I'm worried if Kirk Crease, if Tommy Lloyd. But here's the other thing: is if Kirk Crease is bad, he's bad, um, and he's hurting Mm -hmm. Arizona. Yeah. And if Tommy Lloyd is going to be stubborn about uh, Kirk Crease and what he's doing, uh, I don't know. Um, Arizona might be in for some trouble here. So,
2: is there maybe this is where I need like feedback from an Arizona fan? But like, does Kirk Crease have the Tiger Campbell effect? Like is he the actual leader of this basketball team? Because from what I've seen, it doesn't look like it. Sort of. You know, I just I don't know because I, I think that his threes feel like ten points because he's gonna keep shooting them until the other team has scored ten points, (laughs) even though (laughs) like Arizona has still just been up by ten. Like you know, he he hits one and it's that's great, but it's also it's. I mean, I, I. I'm a little bit of a jazz fan. It's, it's a Jordan Clarkson issue where like he hits two runners and then a three and it's like, all right, he's going to take the next five shots. Doesn't matter if he's triple teamed. Like I feel like Kirk has that same issue. And normally I would be okay with that, except for the fact that you have Ben Matherin and you have Christian Coloco and you have guys that it's like, yes, your three is worth 10 points, but also I can get twos really easily.
0: I think, uh, the similarity between Tiger Campbell and Kirk Risa is that they are both far and away the best passers on their teams. Uh, nobody comes close to either of them on either of their teams, and so and we saw it both with of them Arizona. Them. The tonight. difference is Tiger Campbell is just so much smarter than Kirk Rea. Yes. Like, well, Not Kirk Kreese is a freshman, first of all. So that's that's worth
1: considering. No shit. But shame. also, like, really,
2: we're going to do this for five more years? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: boy. Uh, <laughs> Kirk, yeah, we're, we're, in for, we're in for a really ride. Kirk is really going to be
2: white, blue, white, Duke, <laughs> blue devil, isn't he? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, easy.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Just wait for fifth year senior Kirk Kreese, man. I
1: mean, I think we saw it. Arizona turned over the ball 16 times tonight, and I get that they had way more possessions, but, like, that's still a high turnover ratio I'll go and check on mm-hmm. Ken Palm how what the turnover turnover ratio ends up being based on the possessions but that's still 16 is a lot for Arizona it is um and and part of that is Kirk krisa not being healthy not playing well um and them having to rely on other people to make passes and they were there were there were some there was some ugly passing for Arizona this game and, that, and I think that'll hurt like I think Kirk krisa just uh is 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 the guy who can sort of push the ball, push the tempo
0: and make the right passes. Um so all yeah, like Matherin's a great player. He's their best player. But his biggest question at this level and as a prospect for the next level is his playmaking. Like how does he pass? He needs to be better as a passer if he's going to be like really successful as an NBA player. And uh it's I mean that hurts Arizona too when he can't when he's not playmaking, like he needs to, it
2: is tough for Carissa because looking at it, it doesn't look like he is doing. You know, just to like when you're the eye test watching the game, he doesn't do the playmaking in the the dribble penetration type of playmaking that you see and that you no, really really look floor, for. Yeah, he, he sees the floor, and he's he is elite at the post injury passes that Arizona takes advantage of so much. So that that part of it is definitely fair. Right? That's that's definitely fair. Uh, well, but if he's
0: going to be chucking threes and going one for 10, it doesn't matter how well he's passing. It's still going to hurt Arizona.
1: Uh huh. Uh
2: huh. Absolutely.
1: That's Arizona. Um. So they get Houston next. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see how they play. Uh, we'll talk about UCLA and their two game run and their run to the Sweet 16. We'll talk about USC's early exit, uh, do a little chuck stop discourse. But before
2: that, uh, we got an ad read homefieldapparel.com us making a little bit of an exception for uh, the inaugural ad read of the No Trucks Off podcast Um, Homefield Apparel has been through season 3 of the Big New Saturday drop UCLA has been this last week's Big New Saturday and it is a gorgeous gorgeous drop I Truly, USC's drop has been good. I've seen a couple of other ones that have been good. I have not seen a drop that actually looked like it was catered to the actual school. UCLA's uh, collection is so, so good. Um, If you've never seen Home Field stuff before, it is absolutely amazing. Um, They partner with schools to dig through their archives and history to find unique logos and mascots. And my goodness, this UCLA collection, it's not just a looking back in the archives and finding the old ones. They have a brand new poly Pavilion uh, logo that is really, really good. Um, Greg, you just got that shirt in, right?
0: Yeah, I've been wearing the poly Pavilion shirt uh, while I watched the UCLA tournament games, so I've been very impressed.
2: Homefield magic straight from Greg's chest to the court. That's
0: right. Um, that's why that's why UCLA is still in this thing.
2: <laughs> it it has genuinely been amazing. Um love Homefield Apparel, love everything that they do. The only uh ethical consumption that exists. Um if you want to go in if you're a new customer to Homefield Apparel, um use the promo code no truck stops at checkout for 15% off. Again, just no just one word no truck stops get 15% off your order. Um, If you're not a UCLA fan, they have a great drop. They have a great set of USC, Utah, Colorado, Washington, and Cal. Again, literally everyone vouches for this stuff. I have a Utah shirt, it is the softest most, like it is the best fitting shirt that I've ever worn in my entire life. It doesn't do that stretchy weird thing at the bottom, doesn't do the stretchy thing at the neck. It is a genuinely incredible shirt. Um, and they have good like sweatshirts and hoodie stuff too. So um, go to homefieldapparel.com. And if you love them, use the promo code no truck stops at checkout for 15% off. We really appreciate it. it. really helps us out and get you some of the homefield magic on your chest.
1: All right. Moving on uh, to UCLA and what they did this weekend. Real quick, a tweet that I just saw came in from the SB Nation TCU blog, Frogs of War. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone else saw this, but apparently Kirk Creesa just, quote, this is their tweet, Kirk Creesa just mockingly joined in on the TCU alma mater holding up a horned frog hand sign. They, they go on to say, this is why I love him. He go on The tweet goes on to say he finished with three points on one for 10 shooting and a pair of turnovers. Disgusting display of sportsmanship. sportsmanship oh, he's such a good is villain. For children. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Sportsmanship is for children. Ban taunting penalties for forever. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: did you guys see the other stuff from frogs of War during this game? No, I, I, just did not. Them like cur- I just gave him like I just gave him like the hour follow for this basketball game. Uh, earlier in the game, they said Arizona fans are acting like every single point they score is a twenty zero run. I'm getting real sick and tired of those dumb U of A chants. I can only imagine how the players feel. Dear God, I'm so glad TCU didn't get into the Pac-12 when Utah did. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine this account with USC's band. Like, uh, oh my oh God, God. <laughs> <laughs> they would have an aneurysm. An aneurysm. <laughs>
1: Oh, great stuff. I mean, he's going to be a, uh, Kirk Reese is going to be a fun player to hate for the next few
2: years. But anyway, oh, yeah, the so 30 excited. for 30. I can't wait. So much Arizona disrespect. 12 for let's 12 to, on Pac-12 that nobody will get to see.
1: God let's get on to the other, let's get on to the other blue blood here, UCLA. Uh, UCLA, I think, um, uh, a little forgotten here. I don't know why, just because of the fact that time has passed us. Uh, UCLA went 2-0 to get to the Sweet 16, obviously. They started uh, with a Thursday uh, very inauspicious. <laughs> I said auspicious in a tweet and Greg corrected me here. Big-ass word. Goddamn. Uh, inauspicious start to their tournament run here. Uh, UCLA barely, narrowly got past Akron. 57-53 a game. They truly sh- probably did not deserve to win. Akron um, was right there and maybe had control for much of this game. It wasn't until late that UCLA took over that led to a lot of anxiety because UCLA then went to play St. Mary's on Saturday, a uh, top 25 team in Ken Palm, a top 20 team in, in Ken Palm actually. Uh, and UCLA beat the shit out of them. Um, <laughs> br- br- like it was, uh, it was a tight game in the first half. And then UCLA took a tight, tight control of this game, a tight, tight control, a tight grip on this game. Um, and led for most of it. They ended up beating St. Mary's seventy-two to fifty-six, and maybe their best performance all season. Uh, Greg, let's start with you on this one. How much of these two games did you watch, and in particular the St. Mary's UCLA game? And what did you think of UCLA? And and uh, did they inspire any confidence in you now?
0: Um, I watched all of both of these games. Uh, I was very, very worried for like the first—I don't want to say—like fifty minutes of ucla's time in this tournament like the first the entire game against akron was concerning The first 10 minutes against st mary's was concerning but man that defense against st mary's was just incredible suffocating like st mary's could not do shit and ucla pulled away and then the game was over it was just it was glorious to watch and we haven't seen that type of defense from ucla since they played arizona earlier this year and before that we hadn't seen it since march of last year i think that's the biggest takeaway for me also jaime jaquez is an incredible basketball player he was ucla's engine when their offense wasn't working and when they needed something they needed someone to do something they went to jaime and he was awesome and if he's going to be hurt that is going to be disastrous for them
1: so just to just to clarify what Greg is referencing there. Jaime is looks like he turned his ankle. It looked like he turned his ankle um, and, and late in that game against St. Mary's. UCLA had a seven point lead at the time uh, and then went kind of just had a hard time walking off under his own pow- uh, power. Went to the hallway and kind of collapsed on his just did not look good. It looked like he was in pain. He ended up going back to the bench. There were some crazy like weird Stuff from the broadcast that was like, well, the locker room was way too far away, so, so it was just just way, way shorter. <laughs> and he went to a bathroom and then they brought him back to the bench. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what What the fuck is this? <laughs> anyway, uh, very bizarre. I kind of think that maybe Jaime Hawkins was turned an ankle, but might be. I, I the reports came out that he should be fine, um, that it was there was some minor swelling, he's day to day. Oh, good, he'll be good for the um game against North Carolina coming up in the Sweet 16. But yeah he had a uh, for the first 25 30 minutes of this game he was a, a large chunk of their offense especially early on um, was doing everything for UCLA as he normally does the one player I think that was the MVP of this game it's this gonna be stunning if you have not been following our tweets. It's Cody Riley. Um, He's bonkers. Unbelievable (laughs) shit from Cody Riley. I went on a Twitter space. uh, If you're uh, not following me, at Equity Bruin, you should get on the Twitter spaces after the UCLA games. They are a lot of fun. Um, Cody Riley had his best game of the season by a mile. By a mile, defensively, mm-hmm. was moving way, way better than he ever has been. What knew where he had to be was calling for switches off ball to not put himself in a bad position. He turned into a completely different player, one that we have not seen all season. I
0: just haven't, we have not seen this from him. It was the first time I haven't been begging for Miles Johnson to come in in months.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, thought really. he was Miles Johnson half the damn time. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> I
0: thought he was like, he was moving better than Miles Johnson. I was just oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like no we can't bring Miles Johnson in he's not going to guard the perimeter as well jo- as Cody Ryan. Johnson Riley. would come in and
2: I'd be like get get Cody Ryan Oh, Riley that's Riley number 15 shit. Uh, my <laughs> bad. Okay, delete tweet. Delete tweet. <laughs>
1: uh yeah, Matt, what did you uh what did you think of this game? Who stuck out to you for UCLA? You know,
2: honest to god, like I was going to ask you guys, do you feel like both of these games kind of rolled together into one? Like my evaluation of UCLA, I'm having a really hard time actually separating these two games because you said you talked about how the game with St. Mary's wasn't actually that close. And I was like, "Mm." it felt really, really close the whole time. And now I'm actually realizing that just I feel like three quarters of the game against St. Mary's might actually just be my recollection of the game against Akron. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: as someone who was uh living and dying with every fucking dribble of the basketball. No, they did not feel the same to me, but uh I recognize I know what you mean. When I'm yeah. remembering
0: them, I definitely like in my mind I separate uh I don't separate from the difference between two games. I separate from the moment where UCLA locked in defensively against St. Mary's and everything before that was the first round. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of what it felt like. That's yeah. definitely fair. That's right. There was an opening
1: stretch of that game where UCLA did not look good. It looked like they, they were a l- little mm-hmm. bit of trouble, but what were you going to say? Matt? Although
2: why well, I just, I, I, I am shocked. Isn't the right word. I'm, I'm trying I'm, I've been wrestling with how the hell to say this for the last 24 hours. Um, UCLA is such a different team when they just take on the personality of Tiger Campbell. Um, they yes. they are a very talented team. They definitely have dudes that can just go out and out-talent you. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Hawkeyes, Miles Johnson on the defensive end can definitely just be a better player than you, and it doesn't matter what happens. But they're not. they're they're not a top five pick in the draft, right? Like they are not so much better than their competition that that's the only thing that they can rely on. And so when the entire team buys in to what a guy like a Tiger Campbell has to play by, where it's just, no, you actually have to play the right way. You actually have to play within the offense. You actually have to get the shots that are maximizing your own talents. All of a sudden, everything just clicks. And we saw this a lot against Akron, obviously in the close where Tiger Campbell just, closed elite. And I saw a lot of this in St. Mary's. I obviously heard a lot about, about Hawkeyes and, and about Riley, but there were so many moments throughout the St. Mary's games where I, throughout games, throughout that game where I felt like there were points in the game where it was like, Jaime's trying to do too much. Johnny's trying to do too much. I Cody Riley thinks that he's some superstar. Um, and and Tiger Campbell was able to step in and be like, nope, that like point everything back, get everything back in line and and really control the team in a way that while it didn't obviously feel like he was the best player on the court at any point, um, was I mean, was, was really impressive still. to me.
1: Yeah, he was the leading scorer, and I think that C- C- Tiger Campbell has the effect of just calming UCLA down on offense and dictating the pace and dictating the tempo and telling people where they need to be and making sure that everyone's set. If he needs to push the ball, he can, um, and he was aggressive uh, against St. Mary's, especially in that second half. Um, no, he's critical to what UCLA does, and you and and make, agrees because <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone, if if either of you caught this, but. Uh, early on in the game, Tiger Campbell picked one foul. Uh, he 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 picked up one foul, and Mick Cronin sat him immediately because he was worried <laughs> about him picking his second, so which I is need like you
2: there for the close. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, that was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. He was he was worried that Tiger Campbell was going to pick up his second foul early on. Uh, that's and how I think much he part means of to
0: that was at the beginning of the game. Uh, like. Obviously, I totally agree with that. I think the primary reasoning was he wanted to save Tiger Campbell, make sure he wasn't in foul trouble because UCLA needs him. But at the beginning of the game, even with Tiger Campbell on the floor, their offense just was so disjointed. It was basically if Hawkes doesn't get a post, like if Hawkes doesn't get a post touch, UCLA's going to get a shot clock violation. And so I feel like that was the right time to sit him too, just because he wasn't going to be able to do anything if you're running everything through Hawkes anyway. Yeah. So I think it was just uh, a combination of those two things. Yeah.
1: And I think a number of players stepped up for UCLA offensively. Uh, It was Jaime Hawkes early on. But Bernard hit some big shots. He did hit some big shots. And this is the thing with this UCLA team is, is that, can you ca- can you necessarily count on Johnny Juzang to ha- to to dominate every single game you could in the tournament but maybe not this year but he has his stretches can you count on Jules Bernard to take over a game or or um to have a a, a big game every game no but he has his stretches uh same for kind of Tiger Campbell and the thing is between jo- Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard Jaime Hakez Tiger Campbell they each had their stretches where they were kind of took over this game. It's mm-hmm. almost like they took turns. Frankly, yeah, it it felt like it was like, all right, Johnny, you got to get. He had a horrific first half. Really came through in the second half and had his stretch. Julius yeah. Bernard has hit had his stretch in the second half. Tiger Campbell had his stretch of scoring in the second half. Um, even Cody Riley, it felt like, had a couple of stretches offensively where he was scoring, even though he, his biggest contributions didn't come, um, yeah, it's sort of in getting buckets. But they kind of took turns. <laughs> Unloading on St. Mary's and getting the buckets that they wanted in the spots they wanted, they got really comfortable. St. Mary's, um, a, a, a an a, apparently an elite defensive team, per Ken Palm, per the metrics, they are a great defensive team, and they had zero answers for UCLA offensively. And then defensively, some of the best stretches of defense we've seen from UCLA all season, um, particularly when Peyton Watson came in again, oh, just man. coming in and completely altering the complexion complexion of ucla's defense
0: ucla is so much better when one of peyton watson or jalen clark are on the floor yes like i get that maybe individually they're not better than like one of them is not better than jules bernard or jaime hawkes or uh johnny juzang however when one of those three guys sits for ucla and they bring in jalen clark or they bring in Peyton Watson. UCLA just hits another level. I think it's because those two guys just hustle and they're athletic, and they're so smart defensively that it just like it adds a dimension to UCLA that wasn't there before.
2: The yeah. the hustle, I think, is is the biggest piece. Like they get so many of just the weird random tip outs. Mm-hmm. That aren't showing up in your stat sheet, like you feel like Jalen Clark has an incredible game, and it's like shit. He had two points, okay, hey, yeah, um, yeah, and like no assists. Yeah. I, well, all right, <laughs> like that they, they definitely they hustle, and and it makes the whole team feel more athletic. Yeah, and and like I don't, it, none of the other guys are doing anything different, and it's truly just that they just make that five second, you know, five inch difference, whatever it is, where where all of a sudden these these plays that are turning into defensive rebounds are now all of a sudden a tip out and you've got a wide open shot
0: and peyton watson when he's on the floor defensively he shrinks the floor with his length with his athleticism like he swallows whoever he's guarding that guy immediately becomes a non-factor every time and not only that he's really good with the help like when a guy's coming near him peyton watson is so ready to just like either poke it out or get in that guy's way affect a shot It just, it feels like it's impossible to score on UCLA when he's on the floor.
1: Yeah. I mean, Peyton Watson is a really good example of what athleticism and talent and length can do for you in that it increases your margin for error. Peyton Watson can get beat, um, or maybe kind of lose focus defensively, but he's really good at snapping and like figuring out where he's got to be next to recover and then doing something about it every single time. Uh, how many times have we seen this season where someone beats him off the dribble or he gets caught out of position? but like he he's just so goddamn long and so athletic and so aware honestly that he wakes up in the in that split second and then like gets a chase down block or ter- get forces a turnover or clogs up a passing lane like he does that. Uh, Jalen Clark similarly, uh, Jalen Clark is not long. It's almost like he's the antithesis of Peyton Watson in that he's yeah, shorter. Jalen Clark he's is stockier, just like
0: moving. He's doing 120 percent every single play and, and he's so strong. He makes up for all of it and he's yeah, strong. He strong. He can
1: push guys out of the way because he's built like a linebacker. He really
0: is. He's a big like he's not
1: like. He, he's just got these broad shoulders and can sort of push guys out of the way. And on top of that knows where he has to be to get a rebound um, or to play defensively. It's pretty rare that he gets beat. He did get beat once or twice in Saint, against the game in St. Mary's, but like rarely does he get kind of beat like that. Cause he just knows where to be.
2: The, you talk a lot about, uh, about those, those ways where you can impact the game kind of on the exterior of the game. I, I, UCLA's rebounding in this game, when they were doubling the post every single time, was genuinely incredible. Like mm-hmm. th- that's a dumb thing. I know that doesn't it. It doesn't look in that March, big of matters. a deal. They were able to rebound despite really selling out on the post doubling. That I, when you talk about just those little things, really showed up there. I, they were actually able to get stops where they weren't giving up a ton of just wide open. Even, I I mean, we saw it in the Arizona game tonight where anytime that you got people out of position, all of a sudden on both sides of the court, you know, TCU or Arizona was just getting these wide open tip-ins. You didn't see that in the Arizona or in the UCLA and St. Mary's game because UCLA was doing such a good job of, of really hustling around and, you know, specifically Clark and Watson being in position and working really, really hard to secure those rebounds out of the doubles. It was, it was really, really impressive.
1: Yeah. Great game overall from UCLA, the best game. I think the most encouraging one, I think the, the UCLA Twitter and UCLA fans and even Pac-12 fans, I think, were looking at UCLA after that Aggie game and we're like, ah, this Uh-oh. team, this team, yeah. <laughs> what's going on with them? Uh, did not, and then went into St. Mary's and, and took control of it after a shaky start, I think, um, that frankly was – Caused a little bit by Cody Riley, um, and and my ang- my anger for Cody Riley increased to new levels uh, at that point. <laughs> and then they yeah. sat him. He came back in again, and, and was a different player, and was a completely different player, and really changed the tone of that game. Um, it was crazy because, and I tweeted about this. Like, it's it's crazy for Cody Riley to like his greatest gift is giving you an entire season of garbage, putting that all <laughs> on tape, and then when teams <laughs> scout right in the tournament, they're like, all right, all right. Cody Riley let's exploit the shit out of him and then Cody Riley saying okay, okay gotcha. it's time for me to play <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what's that what's that thing what's that thing called called when you like s- pretend to suck at pool Just or sandbagging. something. sandbagging sandbagging yeah <laughs> yeah and you're like oh fuck I guess I've never played pool before
0: want to play me for 20 bucks and then you turn it on. That's what Cody Riley's doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, Cody Riley knows the only games that matter are in the second round and further of the NCAA Unreal. tournament. Unreal. Yeah, he was if bad it, against if it's not those games. He like doesn't he's, care. He's not building yeah. the draft stock.
2: He's just here for rings. Exactly. <laughs> oh, um, and,
1: to, and specifically to make me look like a moron. Honestly, I think Cody Riley has me, has, Truly, has, has, has it the out for me. Most noblest of of pursuits. <laughs> really. Yeah, <it's> just... <laughs> um well in in the anchor game he was he was unplayable for much of that he was so bad he was horrific and then uh had an insane defensive play to save that game (laughs) okay okay i don't think are you talking about the block
0: Uh, uh, that where he kind of went up and altered the shot and blocked it with like his forearm yes he i don't ball was never going in he did not do that on purpose he jumped up just because and it was the (laughs) first time he jumped in that game and the dude just happened to throw it at his arm. Like, he was yeah. not trying to block that. His arm was there before the dude threw it. Like, no way. Yeah. He got lucky. Okay. And then apparently he just made that luck into an elite performance the next game.
2: Are, yeah. are are we ready? Well, I guess we have to talk about USC. Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, UCLA and Arizona moving forward? Or do you want to move to USC? I mean, maybe well,
0: the UNC game.
1: Yeah, so so we did talk a little bit about Arizona moving forward. UCLA now is going on to play the eighth seed in the in the region, North Carolina, who beat the top seed Baylor, the defending champs. Uh, it looked like in that game, not to get too much into truck stop. I'm not. We're not going to talk too much about the North Carolina Baylor game, but North Carolina got up big, like twenty five points, and Baylor battled all the way back to force overtime. North Carolina did end up winning that game. Um, but in the end this this region now for UCLA is shaping up to be very nice. Uh the number 1 seed fell to North Carolina their next opponent and then the number 2 seed fell um to Kentucky and St. Peters. Let's hold on to that. I'm going to ask you all some, some truck stop questions later. But um Hubertson, I mean, is this is
2: set up for them to do some to, to get to another final four, right? It it definitely is like it's funny cuz you look at the at the seeding and I, I don't know, part of of what's hard when you look at paths is like, what's the opposing path versus also what do you feel about this team? My question for you all, so when I look at UCLA versus like your Arizonans and your Gonzagas, your top seeds, you tend to see like they dictate how this game is going to go, right? They play a certain way. They're going to do that. Does not matter what the other team is going to do. Is it enough to beat this other team? It's interesting because I think that Baylor last year was a team that's very similar to UCLA and that I can't actually pinpoint a style for them. I can't actually say this is well, how they played. They were
0: just like they had incredible guard play, incredible defense and they just like suffocated whatever you wanted to do and then they were just better like like for it sure. felt like their style was just see what you do and counter it perfectly no matter what.
2: It absolutely 100% Starting to think that might be UCLA. I don't really know because I just I can't tell you that like oh UCLA likes to run or UCLA likes to run in the half court or or be a half court team or they like to be an ISO team. They they go I am they like to be a team that gets two to three great minutes out of each one of their players throughout the game and hopefully that's enough to beat you. Um, but I do you think that UCLA can continue because North Carolina to me looks like Arizona light. North Carolina looks like a team that just wants to go and run wants to try to beat you with athleticism, they have no problem giving up 70 points because they're going to run and they're going to try to get 90 points off of your 70. I, and and obviously UCLA has struggled with Arizona. Is that a situation where UCLA plays a way that they want to be slower or is it actually just a situation where UCLA you know, prompts and Arizona is that good? So I, what do you think there You know, as far as, as UCLA's gameplay goes?
1: UCLA is most comfortable when they're slowing the game down and they're playing deliberate. I think that they try to speed it up and play up tempo, I think, in times when they think it's advantageous for them. Um, We've seen that more this year than we ever have under Mick Cronin. But generally, um, UCLA wants to play slow. They want to turn this game into what people call a rock fight. Um, They want to make it a very low-possession game. They want to make you play ugly, and honestly, their offense... Pretty fucking ugly. Also, uh, I like well, it their offense is ugly, but they just got a bunch of players who, who are can great score. You at know, who, ugly offense. Yeah. You, know, you know who this is like, and Greg might might agree or disagree. They remind me of like the 2015, 16 Houston Rockets. Um, oh God, <laughs> where it was like, hey, we're just gonna fucking ISO you. James Harden is gonna dribble for like 18 seconds, <laughs> and then he's gonna try to make something happen, and then
0: get someone out open for a three. Yeah, and the plan is basically. He will do well enough of that, enough of the time. Yeah, that will beat you.
1: And that's the that's the plan with J- Jules Bernard, Johnny Juzang, Tiger. Yeah, they Campbell, just have a Ohio few different Hawkins. players
0: instead of just one player. Yeah,
1: right. I think that's that's what UCLA wants to do. So I think they're most comfortable doing that. I think that they're willing to play up-tempo if they need to, if they want to push it, if they feel like it's advantageous. I think that UCLA is still learning how to do that. Like It felt like sometimes during that St. Mary's game, it was like, and against Akron, they would force the issue. They would say, we're going to go up-tempo, and it doesn't matter that St. Mary's already has three guys already set and back. We're just going to keep doing it anyway. Um, And they need to learn how to be a, a bit more disciplined and responsive to be like okay nope we weren't able to get them off we weren't able to get numbers here we're going to pull it back and let's get into our offense um, for me that's what they gosh, need to do and and just the point about sorry arizona and unc being arizona light ucla i think the thing that should scare ucla fans and this ucla team the most is if they have to deal with two seven-footers like they would have to against arizona or against gonzaga those or two things purdue uh, I, I don't know anything about Purdue, but I They uh, have two uh, seven footers. There you go. Um, but are they are they <laughs> and, mobile? And, and I don't know. Let's Ivy. not and, let's not let's not get into and, I, I Okay. Maybe. Okay, fair. <laughs> and Purdue. Um th- those are the things that I think uh are going to really cause UCLA problems. I think I cannot remember the last time uh a, a like an elite backcourt went off against UCLA, except like mm. Long Beach State like in November. But that doesn't count because UCLA didn't care. Yeah. Um, But like, when's the last time a backcourt just went off against UCLA? Maybe the Oregon game with Jacob Young and Will Richardson, but okay. Um, Aside, you know, that might be the last time in quite a while. uh, They can handle backcourts because their guards are so long with the exception of Tiger Campbell. What I think they struggle with is if they've got to deal with uh, a lot of length at, at the center position and at the four, like
0: they really struggle there. Um, And I don't, UNC does not have that. They, I think UNC, like, for me, the biggest difference between UNC and Arizona is I think Arizona is really well coached, and I'm not going to pretend that I've watched a ton of UNC games, but in that Baylor game, I thought they were abysmally coached. Oh, yeah. Like, what the fuck was their plan in the second round? I mean, the second half of that yeah. game. Baylor just pressed them every time, and they had no answers, mm-hmm. and it looked like there were zero adjustments being made. It looked like the players had no idea what to do with this. Like, just... Down the line, it felt like a better coach could have stopped that Baylor run. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the name of North Carolina's coach. He just had zero interest <laughs> in doing it. It's like the I, second best coach of all time in, in the modern era. But no, I, I wouldn't. Uh, remember no, he who retired it was. last year. Oh
2: no, you're right. You're right. Never mind. Um,
0: this guy's name is like Hubert Davis or something.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who he is. But I, I will say, here's the thing about that game, and and there was this kind of discourse going around UCLA Twitter, like oh, who do, you, who do you want? You want Baylor? Or you want North Carolina? Ooh, North Carolina looks scary. They got up 25. Frankly, the fact that North Carolina blew a 25-point lead and almost lost that game and could not like get a, 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 a pass in bounds, almost like they, I think they're mentally weak. I think they're a little mentally fragile, um, and I think that UCLA does well against me- mentally fragile teams, even if they're talented. I agree talented. with that. Uh, well, UCLA is a is mentally that, strong uh... team.
0: What worries me is that like that run started like North Carolina's best player for that game uh, was ejected to start that run. Now I'm not saying that was the only reason Baylor went on that run, but like North Carolina is better than the team that blew that 25 point lead. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see. I, I'm curious. However, to I see. don't think they're going to get up to a 25 point lead on UCLA. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I,
1: if, for me personally, like, give me, I, I wanted nothing to do with Baylor because I think that Baylor is a mentally strong, well coached team that is going to be able to battle back. North Carolina does not look like that. Um, and they haven't, and I don't know, my sense is from the discourse around North Carolina, they have not quite looked, they've looked pretty mentally fragile at many times throughout the season. UCLA is the kind of team that um, if their backs are against the wall, they're going to fight back. And when they pin you against the wall, they're going to try to keep you there. North Carolina seems like the kind of team that might that might not be able to respond if you get their backs against the wall, but we'll see. I, uh, that's going to be an interesting that, game.
2: I think that North Carolina is actually a genuinely really interesting test for UCLA because I think that North Carolina is that talented team that a better coach team can beat. They're unquestionably totally more agree. talented you than you. A better mm-hmm. coach team can beat you. Is that UCLA?
1: USC is more talented
0: than UCLA, I think. I think USC is a, is a good comparison uh, for North Carolina. I don't know Carolina. that I agree. They're talented in different ways. USC does not have nearly the skill that UCLA does have. Like if you combined UC- USC's length and athleticism with UCLA's skill, you'd have an elite team. But uh, like, I mean, what's North Carolina? Skill is part of talent. Yeah, like, I mean, skill is sure. part of talent. It's just. Uh, it, it, oh wait, did you say UNC? I
1: I, th- I said that
0: UNC was a lot. Like oh, I thought USC. you said USC, and I was like, no, I don't no, really USC. Agree with I'm
1: that. saying that North Carolina, a good comparison for them in the Pac-12, is probably USC.
0: I think North Carolina is better than USC. Uh, okay. I think their players are more talented. I think they just have more ways to hurt you than USC does. Like USC needs Drew uh, needs Isaiah Mobley and one of Drew Peterson or Boogie Ellis to like have a good game. Otherwise, they are sunk. Uh, whereas UNC, I just think has a little bit more ways to hurt you. Caleb Love can have a good game, and the guy who's got ejected, whose name is escaping me, is really good. I think like Man Maniac or something. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah. I don't know any of their names. Truck stops. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think UNC worries me more than uh, USC did, but at the same time, I think UCLA should win.
1: I think they, they they're favored right now. Um Ken Palm gives them yeah. like a sixty-something percent chance. Matt, you got the last word on this. Well, I just, I, I
2: do think, I, I think that we've been going the last couple of weeks, kind of thinking about Mick Cronin, and a lot of this is around the Cody Riley discourse, but. There's a little bit of just is Mick Cronin actually like the guy for this Blue Blood team, especially with what Tommy Connor or Tommy Lloyd is doing. Um, And so I think that this is an interesting test because I think that North Carolina will expose you if you don't have good coaching. And so this will be interesting. It's going to be fun.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about USC. Um, The good thing is we don't have to talk that that much about them because they only played one game. They went on uh, to lose to Miami, sixty-eight to sixty-six. That was the seven ten matchup. USC season ends. They got down big against Miami. To their credit, USC did fight back, um, made that a game, and had a number of opportunities to win. Uh, in the end, Miami was just too much. Their defense stifled USC. USC struggled offensively. Um, I can't remember which of you watched this game. I think Greg, I you watched, watched this it. game. Yeah, yeah. What did you th- What did you think of this one?
0: I thought that USC was very clearly the worst of the two teams. Uh, I think defensively, they were both about as good as each other. Like, I thought USC played a good defensive game. The difference was Miami had players who could score. USC did not. Like, you need ball handlers who can score if you want to go anywhere in March. USC doesn't have that. Like, Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis can sort of do that sort of doesn't do it for you like Isaiah Wong was the best player on that court uh he, he plays for Miami if for those of you who weren't watching the game uh and he was cooking USC because he just like good offense beats good defense and his offense was great no matter what USC was doing he could just like hit a fadeaway and USC didn't have anyone who could do that to Miami on the other side and that was the difference in the game
1: until Drew Peterson did turn it on. A little he did, late, honestly. But um, it was too late. <laughs> it, was, it was much too late. He he did give them a chance to win that game, but uh, turned it on much much too late. Um, speaking of Boogie Ellis and uh, like what a what a brutal way to go out for him. He finished with three points off one for six shooting. Again, this is just this is the Boogie Ellis experience. He's so streaky. He disappears for long stretches. The one, the other player that I think was very disappointing in this one for USC has to be said and I don't really want to blame him too much but it was Isaiah Mobley he had another brutal game in the first half he game. was
0: bad in the second half he was really good
1: I, I thought that I thought that he I thought they had a brutal first half and he was okay in the second half I don't think he was able to I take control of I guess he had game. one
0: really great stretch in the second half and then was fine for the rest of the second half. Sure yeah that's fair
1: he finished with 11 points 3 for 11 shooting yeah, uh, I guess cuz all of that assists. 11
0: points happened in like 1 5 minute stretch. Yeah
1: so I mean it was a uh, it was generally mostly a not a great game for him, and honestly, I think his injury in February. I think he he has not been the same player, so it's been rough. Um, really, the the only consistent player out there for for USC was um, that I think made an impact was resticks and Waters. He he had an he awesome game, um, and
0: uh, Matt Zemek called it
1: yeah he did
0: podcast we did with him
1: (laughs) yeah we talked to him a couple weeks ago and it was like who's that x-factor It's gonna be he said re-sticks and waters nailed it and he really was like he he was a big part that part of the reason why UCLA was in this game by the end um he had 16 points off five for six shooting um two rebounds one assist uh and a block he was uh he was good he was great for them coming off the bench makes you wonder like what would have happened if um you know andy enfield had invested a little bit more in him um mm-hmm. ethan anderson had some brutal minutes in this game for usc also he made some really horrific mistakes and and uh just uh, it was it was
0: brutal from him also but we knew of that about ethan anderson yeah. go ahead greg no it's just that's the ethan anderson experience you yeah know? <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> So USC's uh, season is over, um, and such a shame, too, because Miami went on to beat Auburn handily. Like, Auburn gave up in that game, and it and, and makes you wonder what would have happened if USC had had just not had a, a, the worst half of their season in the first half. If they had beaten Miami, like, they might be going to the Sweet 16 because that Auburn team did not look good. Um, they got completely – they had their asses handed to them by Miami. So – I don't know. Yeah. Lots of coulda, shoulda, woulda. They've got a lot of uh, stuff to figure out next season. Um, but their season's over.
2: This is also, I mean, like you tell USC at the beginning of the season, Hey, you guys are going to make the tournament. You're going to finish third in the pac 12. You'll be a first round out. But like I, you take that, right? Like as a, as a USC fan at the beginning of the season, I, mean, I would
0: as a USC fan. Cause I put most of their success last year on Evan Mobley. Hey, uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. So I would have taken it. I think but I'm not a USC fan, so
1: yeah. You know, I think I think oh, that.
2: Let me also say that, as I'm providing you with this, you just hired Lincoln Riley, so you know, keep that in mind. That's <laughs> also true. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is uh, the the three weeks of basketball that USC fans paid attention to is now <laughs> over, and they can go back to talking about recruiting in football. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I think that Matt Zemek put it nicely in that I think y- for momentum's sake, you had to get one win in the tournament. Just That's true. Just yeah. one, um, and that might build some momentum going into the next year. I mean, who knows? Maybe they still have momentum. They're, this is their second straight tournament. They would have gone to a third if there was a 2019-2020 tournament. Uh, there wasn't, but you know, it's USC. And like, I think I-, I would say that they are more talented than a first round exit. I'd say they're more mm-hmm. talented, maybe
0: than a second round exit. I think the problem is they just didn't have the right kind of talent to do well. Like, yeah, they needed a uh, they needed a too bucket much length and athleticism, to... not enough playmaking. Yeah, they needed they needed
1: some of that. If they had a Tiger Campbell or even a Kirk Carissa, crazy enough. You yeah, know, would be great for them. Right, something something weird. like that. Yeah. Uh, someone someone who's going to be able to create shots. Because for long stretches of this season, it was Isaiah Mobley. Um, he was the one who was creating plays, and he's good at it. I mean, there, there's a reason that he's doing that. He had eight assists this game, um, mm. and I think he leads USC in assists per game, I'm pretty sure. Feels like he does. Even it if feels he like he I'm does. Sure. I'm pretty sure he does. Um, You know, it's, like... He he's he's good yeah. at that, but like you don't want your center to be doing that stuff. Um, you don't want to have to rely like on him to do that.
0: that. You want him to be able to do it, but like he shouldn't be the only one who. He should be. It. Yeah, he shouldn't be their sole playmaker. Absolutely
1: not. Um. Anyway, any other thoughts on USC season? Kind of a disappointing end, but um, you know they did get to the tournament. Um, were there most of the season? There was a stretch where it looked like ooh if they get this loss here, this is gonna be bad. Um, but they ended <laughs> up sticking in it and were in it the entire time. So. I guess it's like top kind of ten
0: remember. at one point.
1: They were top
0: ten at one. I don't think anyone believed that they were a top ten yeah, team. Yeah, I don't think we. I don't. I still don't get how that happened. Uh, <laughs> history that
2: books will say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Crazy stuff.
1: All right. Well, that'll do it for um, you know the three Pac-12 teams. I'm gonna do run very, 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 very quickly on Let's uh, mud in the mud. The <laughs> NIT. <laughs> I was a fucking sicko, and I watched most of these games. Uh, Washington State beat the shit out of Southern Methodist SMU in SMU. Um, They go on to, I don't know, how many teams are in the NIT? They're going to the third round. Too many. Is that the Sweet 16? I have no idea. Um, they're going on to the NIT. The
0: SMU actually, first of all, George W. Bush was at this game
1: for some weird reason.
0: Very bizarre. <laughs> there were like, I like you saying people. he was the second worst war criminal in that, in that building <laughs> behind SMU. Yeah, coach. there was something like that. I did tweet something like that. Um, there's only like, felt <laughs> like 30 people
1: at this game and George W. Bush was one of them. Insane stuff. Anyway, SMU had apparently not lost a home game since like January, 2021. So like 15 months and Washington state ran them off the court. So, that was cool. Uh, Oregon ended their season in disappointing fashion against Texas A&M, 75-60. Um, yeah, not a, not a great game from them overall. Didn't watch that one, thankfully. And then um, Washington State, to kind of get to this point, beat Santa Clara pretty handily. The one game that I think that was most disappointing here was Colorado bowing out in the first round of the NIT to St. Bonaventure. Um, they, <laughs> boy, that was they did not show up for that game at all. That game was at home against a mid-major like St. Bonaventure, the Bonnies. Boy, they looked like ass. They just did not want to be there. So Colorado season is over. Califrado, uh lives on. But, And then Oregon left walked through the first half against Utah State and ended up winning that game before they ended up losing to Texas A&M. So anyway, Washington State now will go on to play. Who are they going to play next? I'm not sure. Uh, I think they're playing. One second. Will I pull this up? Uh, they get BYU actually um, they'll go to BYU uh, I think it's either Tuesday or Wednesday one of those two so chance for the Pac-12 to kick, kick the shit out of another West Coast Conference team alright let's not talk about the NIT because that is boring as hell what I do want to talk about is a little truck stop discourse ooh I haven't heard this one in a while um yes uh i really just had one question for both of you um lots of really cool ncaa tournament stuff happening in march madness that had nothing to do with the pac-12 do you all have a favorite game or favorite moment or a favorite thing that's emerged over these past two weekends that have nothing to do with the pac-12 greg st peter's
0: making a run the the cocks player's name (laughs) is Doug, <laughs> man
2: named Greg stands a Doug. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. That that the discourse
1: around St. Peter's has been crazy. I have watched those games. I'll dabble in a little truck stop. You know, get a little balance here. Uh, I did watch those games, and uh, first of all, all the crazy tweets around. Uh, apparently, St. Peter's has the lowest budget of all Division One college basketball teams. Like for their basketball program. Well, great got coach feed the peacocks, is man. Come on, getting now. a bigger job immediately <laughs> yeah shaheen halloween ho- halloween Holloway. <laughs> uh he's gone probably so but i mean <laughs> it's uh it's good you know people have said this has generated thousands and thousands and millions of dollars in in a uh, pr for saint peter's so good for them good for they them. went on to beat kentucky they were the 15 seed they beat kentucky a two seed um and then went and beat who was oh murray, murray state, state uh the seventh seed so they're going to the sweet sixteen. I don't know who they get next. you all know? I can't remember.
2: Oh look it up. Peters, they're playing Purdue.
0: Oh, that is well, they had a good run. Who cares? <laughs> it was <laughs> tough. Corn corn <laughs> Hard fed to beat corn fed kids. Seven foot four guy plus Jaden Ivy. Yeah. Truck stop players. <laughs> uh,
2: my favorite thing, look, you never like to see a guy get sent down. Okay, it, you really want to see everybody have the success at the highest level, but it's been good to see, um, you know, guys that that weren't able to hack it at the Pac-12 level really have a lot of success at other schools. Uh, Remy Martin, um, the Allen brothers, Timmy Allen and Teddy Allen. Both, Teddy uh,
0: Allen was never at a Pac-12. Uh, school. he's kind of
2: but... like on the way to to Utah. I'm calling. <laughs> yeah. it. it counts for for Utah my, fans. For it. my narrative here, it's happening. It's just I, I'm having Look, it's at a lower level. It's okay. <laughs> um, it's just I'm happy to see. Look, you love it when a guy like gets the chance in the G League and gets to go put up 30 points. It's been good to see the X-Pac 12 players really putting on uh, in, in the non-Pac 12 games.
1: Tweeted this earlier. Uh, Alfonso Plummer owning for mm-hmm. Illinois. They're, he's out now. Palmer, yeah. um, Timmy Allen owned for Texas. He's out now, though. Uh, and Pella Larson still in it. Uh didn't look great for Arizona today but you know has generally been okay makes you think Utah those are all Utah transfers it's like imagine them with
0: Brandon Carlson Utah makes was a very think. good team that Larry K ruined
2: yeah truly truly makes you think
0: doesn't it? Um,
1: that um those I think Saint Peters is the one like it's 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 I have to say, I kind of enjoyed just uh, a little school that uh, is out there in the middle of, I middle of nowhere. A Jersey? single
0: solitary truck stop is here.
1: <laughs> um you all uh are you all into iowa state or michigan is your Cinderellas? is
0: there uh, no States. fuck michigan God, <laughs> fuck no. michigan all the way i need arizona to play them again just so christian coloco can bitch hunter dickinson once again
2: i am be- i am definitely enjoying the immediate evening out of the conferences as far as like in this week 16 two Pac 12 teams two big 10 teams two sec teams eat a dick, Ma. all of you, like, 10 bed league shit. Like, that is yeah. so stupid.
1: <laughs> Insane. That's my favorite thing, is the Big Ten looking like complete ass. Again, as they <laughs> always do every fucking year, it's wow, the Big Ten's awesome. They're gonna get 9 and 10 teams in. They got 9 this year. Only 2 got to Sweet 16. And in the games that they did win, they looked like garbage against horrific teams. <laughs> Wisconsin beat Colgate by, like, 2. Um it was they like, lost to iowa state iowa lost to richmond um and that was supposed to be one of their better teams it's like they won
0: oh, the tournament
1: it's it's insane iowa state was i guess kind of competitive with villanova but largely not um just like down the line they looked like ass all of them um so uh, i i'm i'm glad and the sec do they have any teams they don't right they're, they have no one. Uh, um,
2: and the, field no, field no so SEC still has um, no, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, and Arkansas. I thought there was 16. one more. No, that's. Pretty it. sure
0: there's another. No. Auburn no. got got their ass. lost by yeah. Miami. Yeah, Big
2: Big Twelve has three. Big Twelve's got Iowa State, Kansas, and Texas Tech. But uh, and ACC
0: has. Uh, they have Duke. They have uh, Miami, North Carolina. Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. So it's, and it's, again, it's even like it's stupid and people said the acc was bad this year too uh, sure did yeah all right well that's don't it don't trust talk don't trust truck stop media don't trust them they're mad they're very mad out there the national media what
2: we're very saying mad is let there. no truck stops pick the tournament field next year exactly <laughs> really be truly, better, the I only promise. reasonable conclusion here us and bill us and bill
0: Yes. Uh Let Bill Walton uh, choose. Uh, <laughs> Bill Walton can do whatever he wants. Yes, to I need room. I, don't, I need to see him anywhere. I need to see bracketology with Bill Walton.
2: That is fantastic. what we fantastic. Cal State Fullerton Cal State Fullerton getting a 3 seed just cuz they're in the Pac-12 footprint. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He really would. He really
1: would. All right. Well, that will do it for us. For Greg at Bananamorphs and Matthew Burton at Matt Nyber I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. This has been No Truck Stops. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here.
2: Definitely not in the Sweet 16. Roma's still and thick with smoke, so it makes you choke. The coffee's kicking and my patience to wearing thin Said so I'm lonelier than a single
0: sax on a quiet city street